Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Venture, it's hard to believe Christmas is less than two weeks away. And uh, this is a big weekend for us here at the church. We, we had the Winter Wonderland, and it's been exciting to see all that's happened on the campus here. But I don't know about you, when, when you get in this home stretch, you start thinking about, okay, all the things that we need to get done, and probably more than anything, kind of the, the Christmas shopping, the gifts, and you want to get the right gift. In fact, I ask you as we start, what's the worst gift you've ever received? And maybe to flip it around, and a little more embarrassing, what's the worst gift you've ever given? You know, I've got a, a group of friends, some guys, and we'll do trips. Sometimes we'll go on a fishing trip or we travel. And, and one time on one of these trips, I don't know who threw it out there, but we started sharing who had given their wives the worst gift, kind of competing with each other. And it, it was humorous, to say the least. Uh, one guy talked about early in the marriage when uh, he loved to fish, so he'd bought his wife a lot of tackle, fishing gear, all, all of her own fishing gear to be able to go fish with him. And uh, he was surprised for a whole year. She didn't use it. And so the next year he doubled down on it and bought her fishing videos. He, he thought education was the problem here when really it was the gift itself. Uh, another friend, this this was a, a winner to say the least. He, he bought a, uh, a sander, a foot sander. So you could uh, sand off the skin on the bottom of your foot. Gave it to his wife for their anniversary. And uh, we asked him, surely this wasn't the only present you gave her. And he said, well, you know, she, she saw it on a commercial and she seemed real interested in it. Uh, one guy gave his wife an industrial mop bucket one year for Christmas. Uh, he was thinking about his poor wife and how hard it was to move the mop and move the mop bucket. So he bought her one of those ones you, you see like a commercial mop bucket with the wheels on it. And he was excited because it had the handle that would ring it out. Uh, in fact, I asked him, I said, so was that year the year you started all the mopping? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I took it over that year. I mean, down the line, all, all the different ones, um, probably for me, one of the worst gifts, it wasn't so much the gift itself, it's, it's how I chose to purchase it. And I think it may have been our first Christmas. Um, I knew a store that Lee loved and clothes that she loved in it. And so I went and I was going to really do it right. And I'm looking at the price tag, and uh, it was expensive store. And I look on the back wall, and there's this discount rack. And I'm thinking, well, let me go look at it. And I'm looking, the prices are so much cheaper. I mean, I can probably get her five times what I can get in the front of the store if I just shop back here. So I'm pulling different items, excited about it. And I still remember she unwrapped it all. And she was excited. She was like, oh, I love that store. But then as she was looking through it, I could tell it wasn't quite connecting. And then, you know, she said, I don't think this will fit. And I'm not sure about that. And then she asked me, she said, um, hey, why don't you just give me the receipt and I'll take it back, maybe exchange for some things that do fit or some others. And I realized in that moment, she's going to find out where I got it in the store. I mean, I was getting all these bonus points for shopping there. And she's going to find out her husband, uh, you know, I'm not the drug lord El Chapo, but I am El Chipo. And so I said, you know, sweetie, let, let me do that for you. I'll take it back. I'll just get you store credit. 
and I thought I'd, you know, add some money to it so she wouldn't see how much I'd actually spent. And she goes, no, that doesn't make sense at all. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And then finally, it just dawned on her. And she kind of laughed. She said, did you get all of this in the back of the store? And I was like, well, how did you know? And she said, well, these things really aren't in fashion anymore. And it just kind of, I could tell. And I was like, oh, I'm busted in this moment. Now, fortunately, she was gracious enough about it. But uh, as guys, sometimes it takes us a while to learn the whole gift giving. Uh, it takes some years of marriage. We we do get better, hopefully, over time. I think she would say I've gotten better. I try not to be El Cheapo as much. But as I, I think about the whole experience of Christmas, and I think about the Christmas story, and you think about giving in the story. You know, this this whole thing we've been looking at around joy I am thrilled to say that when you look at the first Christmas, the group that got the giving of gifts right was a group of guys. I mean, a group that that figured it out. And if you know the story, you probably know what I'm talking about. If you go back to the original story, there was a group of guys called the sages or the wise men. Or often we call them the three wise men. We don't know how many there were. It's a fascinating part of the story for me, and I love it personally, because I love that there was this group that lived far from Israel. They lived to the east. That They were pagans. They studied the stars. We, we don't know their full belief system, but God used their belief system. He placed a star in the sky to announce that the king had been born in Israel. And and so this group of wise men begin traveling. It's a long journey. They go to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they announce, where's the king? And King Herod, who thought he was the rightful king, is not thrilled to see him. And, And through his scribes, they're able to determine, well, this king that was prophesied was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And as the story goes, the wise men keep following the star. In fact, if we read in Matthew, read with me, when they saw the star, they they go in to Bethlehem, and God has this star rest right over the home where Jesus and his family is. This probably isn't the same night that Jesus is born. This is probably a little bit later. And as they go, look what it says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Here's our theme of this whole month. We're talking about How do we have the kind of joy that we see in Scripture? How do we have the kind of joy that we see in this story? And so when they finally discover after this long journey, there's Jesus, they get excited. They're joyful. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And again, this is a dramatic scene because you got to remember, these wise men, these sages, they're dignified guys. They're wealthy people. I mean, they've traveled afar, and yet when they see Jesus, what's their first response? They worship him. They literally fall down before him. And then opening, I love this word, their treasures. They came prepared. Then they want to celebrate a king, and they want to do it the right way. And look what they offered. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And in this, I mean, gold, we obviously know how valuable gold is. Frankincense and myrrh. These were resins from a tree. Sometimes they were stored as an oil. Sometimes they were stored as a resin. They were very valuable in this time period. In fact, if you go back in the first century in Roman Empire, 
Frankincense and myrrh were forms of trade that often could be as high as gold. And so, so when they came, it probably was an easier way of traveling with something that was very valuable. They pour out their treasures. And, and then it, it's interesting to me how Matthew just turns it at this moment and being warned in a dream not to return by Herod. So being told, hey, don't go tell Herod where they are. They departed to their own country in another way. I mean, these guys are like the Kaiser Solze of this story. It's like, like that, they're gone. They show up, they worship, they lavish with their gifts, and then they're gone. It's always fascinating to me, the narratives of these stories, how God weaved it all together, how everybody plays their part. And, and as I think about these, these guys who start so far from God, but God loves them enough to reveal what he's doing in the world, they are obedient enough to, to be able to go and worship, but not just worship, to give. To give generously. To give lavishly this baby that's been born. And the impact of their gift, even though they're gone in the story, I mean, as you think about it, because think about the rest of the story with Mary and Joseph. If you know the story, Herod, that king in Jerusalem, he goes a little crazy. He's so determined to wipe out any threat to his throne, he starts killing children, little boys, anybody in the region. So Mary and Joseph, they have to run for their lives, literally. They go down to, into Egypt. They can't go home. They can't go anywhere. And, and you think about a young, poor couple on the run in a foreign country with no resources, except that God had prepared a group who came and they gave generously with gold and frankincense and myrrh. For the next period of time, next few years, I mean, it, it was a resource for this family to be able to live on. The impact of that gift, that as they went back to their home country, I bet they had no idea the impact of that gift. But how integral they were to the story because of their obedience to God. Guys, as we've been talking about great joy, and we're learning from the story, we want to take away the parts. Last week, we looked at the angels, and we learned the great joy of just sharing the good news, of speaking joy. And, and this week, I really want us to hone in, because especially in this Christmas season, but not just in this story, but all throughout Scripture, this command to be people that are generous, that we literally have the opportunity to give joy, to, to, to bring joy into a family, to bring joy into a life, to bring joy into our own life. Now, as we think about giving, and I'll just tell you, giving in Scripture, it's integral to Scripture. It's integral to being a follower of Christ. It's, it's over and over again. It's how Jesus describes that life that he wants us to experience. And to do that, we're called to give. And, you know, if you're a part of the Venture family, you, you hear us talk about it, and uh, we'll continue to call you to it. We'll call you to give here. We hope that you are excited about what God's doing in our church and that you give. And that, that's a fundamental part of your discipline, of your worship. You see that combination that we, like those wise men, when we come to worship here, when you're worshiping with us, and some of you, you're only able to worship online, but you give online. 
And so, so that, that basic giving that we do, and I, I don't want to make this whole message, we, we could talk about another time, what does Scripture call you to do? I do think as you look through it, a lot of people talk about that 10% you're called to give. I, I think that's that point that whoever you are, you start feeling it. It's supposed to feel that sacrificial giving. And, and I'll say, we need your giving. You know, as we look at it and we look at this end of year with it, uh, you know, this year, all through COVID, our church has been so generous. You gave, you've sustained. But we're feeling the effects of, you know, as we come back, there's not as many people attending as there were pre-COVID. And some are still waiting. A lot have moved away. Our, our overall giving's down probably about 8% as we come into year end. And again, we're not alarmed. We're not scared about that. But I've always told you as a church family, anytime we reach these points, we just communicate in a straightforward way. And so if you're part of the Venture Church family, I, I would ask, pray about giving to your church as you come through this December. This is a time of year where we're giving to a lot of people. And it should be a fundamental part. It's how God set up church all the way from the tabernacle to the temple to church. He's always set it up that it's supported by his people. Now, you have to ask, why did he do it that way? Because remember, I told you several weeks ago, God doesn't need your money. He owns everything. I mean, sometimes I think, God, it would have been great if you'd set it up that every church had their own kind of private gold mine. You just place it on site. And yet if we did that, you know what would happen? <laughs> as leaders, we wouldn't grow in our faith. We would depend on it. And as the people of God, I think we would miss out on this process that he's calling us to. And so as we think about this message, because I really want to talk to you about generosity because I think it's so key to joy. I don't want you to just think about of just giving to our church. If you're not a part of venture, you may never give here. Or maybe your heart, you're giving something else to the kingdom. I just want you to think about generosity and what we're called to in that. Because hear me, I think generosity is one of the keys to actually experiencing joy. And I think when we pull back when we fail to give, as God's called us to wherever He's calling you, whether it's venture to another church, to a ministry, anything, when we fail to live that out, we don't get to experience what we're seeing in these passages. And as I told you last week, there's a lot of people today, I think, struggling with joy. And part of it may be wrapped up in this issue. And so why should we live a life of generosity? I'm going to just walk you through five things that Scripture just teaches about generosity. And I just want you to think about generosity. Not a specific place you're giving, but your heart of generosity in that. The first thing that you see in, is generosity is just a better way to live. And this is from Jesus. Jesus says it's just a better way to live. Look at Acts 20. In all things, Paul says, I wrote you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's, it's just, it's a better way of doing life when you give. You always get more out of it giving than receiving. It's better to be the one that's giving than the one who's getting. That, that's as plain as day is what Jesus is saying. Uh, over in Luke, he says it this way. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Will it be put onto your lap? For the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, now, there's a strong promise here. 
Jesus is not just saying, oh, give money so you can get money back. He, he's talking about this blessing of life that as you're a generous person, it's like your head being anointed. And so when they would anoint, it, it would roll down over the head and then all the way down to the lap when it was this overwhelming blessing. And so in the same way, he says, man, when you're a generous person, there's these blessings that just roll down over your life. It, it literally impacts you. You know, it's, it's fascinating. Science says the same thing now. You, you realize when you give, it changes your brain. Uh, I was reading one study on giving, and, and it was interesting. They were expecting in this study, you, ha you have this reward center in your brain, uh, ventrial striatum. And, and that center, that, that's that reward. It's those feelings of love. It's a good, your growth in, in that. And, and when they would have uh, participants in this one study, when they would give, they were studying their brains with MRIs. And as they studied it, in the act of giving or thinking about giving, that reward center would light up. Is that, that good feeling you feel, that, that part of it that your brain literally is telling you, I like this. Now, the researchers expected that. Here was the surprising part of the study. They actually found, though, in giving, there was decreased activity in the amygdala. In the amygdala, that, that's that high emotion center. That's your fight or flight. It's part of the limbic system in your brain. That's the part of the brain when you have increased activity in the amygdala, there's usually high anxiety. That's where we're most anxious. And so the researchers were fascinated. They were like, in giving, it not only stimulates that reward center part of the brain, but it actually decreases. It calms the amygdala. This powerful effect. Uh, the, the other part that was fascinating, too, is it has sustained effect. Unlike getting, and, and we, we see this, that reward center, when you get something, like if you won the lottery or somebody gives you money, you start getting this new way of life, you would think that reward center is going to stay lit up. That's what people think, of, man, if I could just win a million dollars, man, it'll, I'll feel good forever. The problem is our brain gets used to it. And so what lights us up the first time from getting doesn't light us up as much the second time, the third time. And over a new period of time, your standard change, that even though it may be just this lavish amount, we got used to it. Here was the fascinating part. That doesn't happen with giving. They actually found in study after study that as you gave, the first day you gave, the second day, the third day, especially when it was directed giving to somebody you knew, something you cared about, an organization you were passionate about, any place where there was a connection, they said it was this amazing thing that giving actually has a sustained effect. And it continues to do this in the brain. It's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it, it's almost as if the person who created our brain tells us exactly how to live in a way that's best for us. And I'm talking about Jesus. When he says it's better to give than receive. Folks, we, we know this. We know this on one level. But this principle is always powerful. Especially when you see it played out when those make that choice to give instead of receive. In fact, I, I saw a video recently. Uh, it was filmed a few years ago in Atlanta. Uh, it was kids that are part of the Boys and Girls Club there. And Boys and Girls Club's great organization. 
In fact, Steve Weimer in our church family, he leads the Boys and Girls Club of the Bay Area. And so, uh, you know, it, I love how they partner with kids, especially kids in needy areas. And, and this one group came in and they had some of the kids from these tougher homes, some of these underserved kids, and they put them to a test on this issue. Why don't you watch with me? It's pretty powerful. This year for Christmas, what are you hoping to get? A computer. Big, giant, Barbie house. A trophy case. An Xbox 360. Minecraft Legos. What do you think your mom or dad want for Christmas? My mom would probably want a ring. She's never really had a ring. Jewelry. She loves jewelry. A new TV. Like watches. So, we actually did buy an Xbox 360. What in the world? I wanted this! Okay, you you really got this for me? A new laptop. Wow! It's a necklace! So we also bought a necklace because you said you also wanted to get a necklace for your mom or your auntie. The catch is that you can either get a gift for yourself huh? or you can pick a gift for your mom and dad. I need you to pick one. Now, now before you answer, Oh, I bet that's hard. Is that a really hard question? Mm-hmm. What gift do you pick? I choose this. I gotta go with the ring. What gift do you pick? That one. That one. That dress. I'll choose this for my mom. I'll choose this one. It's a really tough question. I'll but give him this. You already know? Tell me why. Because Legos don't matter. Lego, your family matters. Not Legos, not toys, your family. So it's either family or Legos, and I choose family. I get gifts every year from my family, and my mom don't get anything. If I get a laptop, my mom will get something. She helps me when I'm sick. She helps me with my homework. She gave me a house to live in. They look out for me and do stuff for me, so I need to give back to them. Now I have the opportunity to give them something. Because you actually picked the gift for your family, you're actually going to go home with both. Tell me how you're feeling. I'm feeling really happy and Why? thankful. Just happy. Thankful. For your family? For what? My family. Everything. You did make his decision, actually. And oh he goodness. picked the Pandora Charms. Oh, that is sweet. You're make me cry. So what are you putting in the game? In your room. Oh, it's for me? Oh, it's for you. Thanks, guys. I was going to. Man, that video gets me every time. Uh, when I see the kids make that choice. And, and it just powerfully shows what we're talking about. It's better to give. It's better. It's just a better way of doing life. In fact, notice the second point with that. Generosity protects you from joy stealers. 
from the joy that you have in your life actually being stolen. And Paul writes specifically to those who are rich. And he's talking about us, whether you consider yourself rich or not, people that have a lot. He's saying in that, they're some of the ones that you can have your joy stolen so quickly because of that. Look what he says in 1 Timothy. He says, as for the rich in this present age, God's given you things in this life, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, notice, I, I see three things here that can steal your joy. He says, if you've been blessed, you have riches, it's easy for you to be haughty. Guys, pride will steal your joy. Proud people are not joyful. You just mark it down. And when we get proud in our life, especially if you've been blessed in your life, it's so easy in that moment to kind of delineate and think we're something that we're not. So it's easy to look down on others, almost in the compassion, but do it in a haughty way. And almost consider that, you know, I got to where I am in life because of the choices I made or what I did. But Paul says, don't do that. It, it, it will literally rob your joy. And so he warns us about it. He puts with it as well, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Now, I would say that's the second thing that will steal your joy is this anxiety, especially money anxiety. And notice he's writing those who are rich. He's not writing people that go, man, if I just had more money, that's why they're anxious. He's writing a group that already has resources, but they live every day in uncertainty because they've set their hope on it. And so they live every day based on how much money I have. They live based on how much money's coming in. They live every day based on the market. They live every day. I mean, it's just they look at that more than they look at God. And Paul is warning us, and I'll just warn you, I'm just telling you that kind of anxiety when you've set your hope there, it literally will steal your joy. You, you can't even enjoy the good things in life. Because you always feel the insecurity of that. The third part with it, he says, when you set your hope on that, instead set it on God. And I love how he puts this, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He says, do you remember that it's God who gives you everything? Literally everything. And he gives it to us to enjoy. He doesn't give it to us that we're supposed to walk around and act miserable in it. Remember, the whole theme of this is joy. And there's a certain joy in recognizing this comes from God. And so what Paul's telling us is, man, do you have a heart of gratitude? Because you know what? Ingratitude will steal your joy. When we hit a point where we start thinking the things that God gave us, he owes us. And then if any of those things ever get threatened or removed, we start resenting God because we've developed an ungrateful heart. I'm sure if you're a parent, you see this. You know, one of the things, if you have teenagers and you work through it, is teaching them gratitude for the basic things they get every day and having a heart of gratitude in that. And yet it's hard for me to be hard on them when sometimes I look at my own heart before God and what I think God owes me. And Paul says, you want to reverse that. You want to think every day, man, who has given to me? How has God blessed me? 
And what you'll find in it, and, and I've seen this to be true in Scripture, you'll see this group always travel together. Joy, generosity, and gratitude. You, you'll see them in Scriptures together. you see them in life together. And I've seen this true in people. Some of the most joyful people I know are some of the most grateful people I know. And they're some of the most generous people I know. And you don't have to have a lot of resources to be a person like that. Some of the people who've experienced this the most are some of the ones that would never fall into the category that anybody thought they were rich. But they're joyful. And they're grateful. And they're generous. I, I love the story. It's a, actually, a Christmas story is called Blue Christmas. Ann Keegan wrote about just different Christmas stories around some of the police officers in the Chicago Police Department. And there was one guy that she writes about, George White. Uh, George was a homeless guy. And literally, George had one, one outfit that he lived in. He had shoes that he kept together with rubber bands. And, and George would spend most mornings at the precinct. There was a heater in the back, and he would sit in a chair, and he would nap there. And as they found out that George often would go over to a, a grill, the G&W grill, and the guy that ran it there, Billy the Greek, would give George breakfast every morning. So two of the officers, Katowski and Mitch, really took a liking to George. And so one Christmas, they, they adopted him. They, they had their family celebrating Christmas together. They brought George to their home. They had the Christmas meal together, and then they gave George presents. And they watched as George so carefully unwrapped every present was so appreciative of it. And when they got George in the car to take him back home, and uh, he, he spoke up from the back seat and he said, are these presents really mine? They're mine to keep? And they said, yeah, George, we've given them to you. And they watched as he began to rewrap every one of the presents. He says, you guys got to take me to the GW grill. They pulled into the grill and they walked in and there was Billy the Greek. He was always behind the counter. And George looked at him. Listen to what he said. He said, Billy, you've always been good to me. And now I can be good to you too. Merry Christmas. And on the spot, he gave Billy every one of his presents. Gave them all away. Why? Because he was grateful. He was grateful to those who loved him. And he wanted to share in that. And that gratitude led to generosity. Folks, part of what Paul is teaching us, no matter how rich or poor you are, but especially if God has blessed you, to recognize with gratitude, it all comes from him. He literally gives us everything in our lives. Shouldn't this stir our hearts? Don't we want to protect ourselves from seeing our joy stolen like this? Look how he tells us to do it, though. He says, so if you've been blessed like that, do good. Literally, do good. Go help someone. Be rich in good works. Don't just be rich in your bank account. Be rich in the good works you're doing and the people you're helping. To be generous, and I love this line, to be ready to share. To, to live in a way that, that you're in a heart of generosity, you're looking for ways to share. You're always ready to share. 
It's not something that you're always telling yourself, oh, I wish I could do that, or maybe some other time. No, you just got this mindset. You go, man, I've been so blessed by God. I want to do things that actually impact people. And I want to give in a way that I'm ready to share. And, and then he says, you know what happens? You store up treasure for themselves as good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is really life. You're actually investing in eternity. You're actually investing in the things that matter most. This is such a good passage for us. Because I think so often we're not ready to share. So often our joy is stolen. And Paul warns us, he says, don't live that way. Don't, don't, don't allow that to happen. Here's the third thing with that. Generosity attaches our heart to what matters most in life. Gen generosity has this way of attaching. And again, these are the words of Jesus again. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and Jesus is just teaching us in that, this, this principle that whatever you give to, whatever you donate to, whatever you give money to, whatever your treasure, when you give it, you know what happens? Your heart goes with it. It, it just happens every time. And, and I promise you this, just test it yourself. You start sponsoring a child. And you know what happens? It's not just that check you write or the money you send. I mean, you start caring about that kid. You, you start giving to an organization. Healing Grove in our city or City Team or, or Real Options. These groups that we partner with, when you start giving to, you know what? You start tracking with it. You start caring about it. You start thinking about the homeless in a different way. You start thinking about the unborn in a different way. You start thinking about the underserved in our community a different way. It'll just change your heart. When, when you give, when you give to your church, you know, some of the people that love our church the most are the ones they give to it so their hearts are enmeshed here. I, I see it play out over and over and over. I know it has in my life. When I start giving, I start caring more. And in that process, do you see what God's doing? Through giving, he's using this tool to change us. See, we live in a world, and over the next few weeks, you're going to see it commercial after commercial after commercial that tells you to consume, to take in, to get. And Jesus looks at it and he says, no, give. Give it away. So that you're not a person who's always consuming for me. You're a person who actually cares about others. And generosity is that bridge that will connect you to the things that matter most in life, to the people that matter most, to things that God cares about. As we do that fourth thing, generosity is a doorway to point people to God. It's a doorway. When we're generous, people notice. This is what Jesus said when he talks about let your light shine before others so they may see your good works they see you doing these things. They see you caring in a way. And you know what? Good works always take time and money. I've never seen good works that didn't require both of those. They, they take an investment of someone. When you do that, they give glory to your Father who's in heaven. They can't help but notice it. You know, I talked about it last week with the early church, the church in Jerusalem. You talk about a church that's against the odds, you, against the, the culture in a lot of ways, a church that so many people, they would look at it and they didn't believe in that church and what they believed in. But look how it says in it, this church, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy. 
This church was marked by joy and generosity. In fact, a previous verse said if anybody had need, they would sell something so they could help each other. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. You notice what that's saying? That's not talking about the people of the church. Let's talk about the people looking at the church. People in the outside culture that didn't believe like the church, that didn't practice like the church, that looked at them and frankly thought they were crazy with what they believed. But they had goodwill toward them. You know why? Because they were generous. Because they gave their life away. Because they were willing to share their resources. And look what happened as a result. And the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It was this revival that took place. Guys, I, I think this kind of living has got to mark the church today. Especially as we see the culture changing in so many ways. And they don't believe like we do. And they look at us and they think a lot of our belief system are crazy. One of the most profound ways that we witness to the world is how we live with joy and generosity. How we give our lives away. You know, a, a few years ago, I remember there was a, a New York Times op-ed piece. And it was a tribute to a doctor. It was a, a, written by Nicholas Kristof. And if you've read any of Christoph's stuff, he, he's not an evangelical. I, he, he wouldn't identify in those ways at all. But he, but he wrote this piece called A Little Respect for Dr. Foster. And, and in it, he, he said, you know, I, um, he talks about, I'm not an evangelical Christian, but I've truly been awed by those I've seen in so many remote places who are out there combating illiteracy. They're combating warlords. They're coming up against famine and disease. They're humbly struggling to do the Lord's work as they see it. And then he focuses on Dr. Stephen Foster, this 65-year-old white-haired missionary surgeon who had lived in Angola for 37 years. And a large period of that time, the Marxist regime that persecuted him. He, he says of him, he says, one of his sons contracted polio. A daughter survived cerebral malaria. The family nearly starved when the area was besieged during war, and Dr. Foster insisted on sharing the family rations with a hundred famished villagers. Christoph concludes, The next time you hear someone at a cocktail party mock evangelicals, think of Dr. Foster and those like him. Those folks who, who don't just proclaim the gospel, but they also live it. And, and he's just talking about respect. He says they deserve better. This doctor who, who has an organization, Hope for Angola, who used agriculture and medicine and the gospel. See, when we live these kind of generous lives, people notice. They see it. It makes a difference. Uh, final point I'd say on it is, generosity changes our outlook to become truly joy joyful people. Maybe you're struggling with joy. Start with the generosity and see how it changes you. Proverbs puts it this way, just describes, it says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. The, the person who's giving away, they're growing richer in life. Another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers once. He never has enough. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. I, I love how Paul talks about it because he talks about just our, our giving. And he, he's talking about in your weekly worship, core part of your life, 
you need to give. But, but look how he sets it up. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I, I love how Paul describes it and how God sets it up, frankly, that he says, no one's going to force you to do this. Every per- person has to make their own decision. It's not under compulsion. And, and, and as you look at it, I mean, God could have set it up that, you know, as soon as you become a Christian, he does an auto debit on, debit on all your funds. <laughs> that every week it just immediately disappears with that. He could force this on us. But he doesn't want to do that. Why? Because he wants us to make that choice. He wants us to experience at a brain level, at a core level, what generosity does. He wants us to literally become, this word cheerful giver, the word there is hilarion. It's where we get in English, hilarious. It's like a laughing giver. It's like when you're giving, it's that ho, 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 as you give. And, you know, for many of us, maybe we give, it's not ho, 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 it's ho, ho, ho. We're feeling it. Paul says, now, God wants to do something in you that he's changing you. That as you give, you're feeling that joy. And and as I say that, I I recognize, man, this is a process. I I love how it's described as a journey of generosity. And and first part of the journey is nobody forces you. But Jesus looks at you and he says, it's a better way of living. It, it, It points people to God. It changes your heart. It protects you from having your joy stolen. It it literally changes you that as you give, you're feeling that joy, that cheerfulness that I get to be a part of what God's doing. So let me ask you, just in evaluation, a few questions, and this is just for you personally. We're going to do like last week, some personal evaluation and then some action points. First thing on evaluation, I would just say, where are you on your journey of generosity? And and I'd ask you, just be honest with God and yourself. This isn't for anybody else. But as you look at your life, you go, you know, my journey of generosity, how I live in this way, how I give in this way. Man, have you even started on it? Are you pretty behind in the journey? Maybe you've taken a few steps, but you want to step out more. Here's the beauty of God's grace, just like that last verse. God doesn't force anyone. God's not going to compel you. God's not going to make you do something you don't want to do. So even now, you might be feeling defensive. God's not going to force that. But my question is, based on everything Scripture tells us, based on what science tells us, based on the fact that Jesus literally says these words, it's a better way to live. Why wouldn't you start that journey? Why don't you be honest with yourself and be honest with God about it? And then maybe ask yourself, what's keeping you from being a generous person with your money? Oh, here's even the harder one, and your time. A lot of people are uh, generous with money, but man, we can be stingy with time. And yet, what's keeping us from that? Maybe you need to look at your budget or your calendar or your consumption. And then as you do that, what tangible steps do you want to take this coming year? What's a tangible way that you can go, 
you know what, I want to start the journey. And when I say tangible, it's like real, not just sentiment, not just thinking about it, because you're not going to experience the joy unless you actually do the journey, unless you actually take the steps. And so let me give some action steps for all of us. Pretty simple. Here's the first one. Write out your generosity plan and commit it to God. This is a perfect time to do this. You've got all next year. Maybe next year you want to go, you know, I want to take next steps in it. And so maybe it's a, a budget plan. Maybe it's a goal. Maybe it's an amount. Something that you go, yeah, I want to give that away. Maybe it's a group that your heart is drawn to that you go, man, I want to serve with them. I want to give to them. But, but do this, write it out, and then commit it to God. Don't just think about it. Don't just have the sentiment. Actually write it out. The second thing I'd say is, Take one of the gift boxes that we have as a church and use them as a generous invitation to your neighbor and friend. You say, what gift box? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, we have created some gift boxes. We've done this in the past. It's just a little box, the joy of Christmas. And, and it's in that. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Put some cookies, maybe some candy, maybe a gift card. I, I would also ask you, put in this card. Put in our Christmas Eve invitation. And take it to a neighbor or a friend. It's just a simple, tangible way of being generous, but also sharing good news. The third thing I'd ask everybody to do is, would you ask God to give you an opportunity to bless someone in an unexpected way this Christmas? As you're thinking through, and, and we want to go on a journey of generosity, just one thing I, I like to do from time to time, and this is a great season, if you'd stop and go, God, is there somebody I could just bless that I could be that kind of ready to be generous person? And I would be ready to give that resource. I'd be ready to help them out. I'd be ready to give toward that. We do this as a church all the time. Right now we've been collecting toys as part of the toy drive that we want to give away to underserved families in our community. If you come to our Christmas Eve services, uh, the, the, the offering that we will do that night, it's going towards City Team. Because I, I love City Team who works with the homeless. That They're starting to renovate some apartments so that families, instead of being divided up when they're in shelter, moms could be with their kids. But it's going to take some money and resources. And so we just decided on our Christmas Eve services, man, the money will go toward that. And so maybe you be praying about that and thinking about it. And, and maybe yes, you go, well, Tim, didn't you just say we're a little bit behind as a church? Yeah, I said, yeah, but that whole service, everything about it, we want to model what we're talking about. Let's be generous in this. God will take care of us. He always has. And so maybe you could be looking around going, yeah, where could I give to that? Who could I give to in an opportunity this year? Folks, this whole Christmas story is about gifts. It's about giving. And I told you the wise men gave a great gift. But the person who gave the greatest gift is actually God in the story. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Folks, we were made to be generous because we were created in the image of our God. And he loved us so much he gave his son. And Jesus loved us so much he gave his life. The greatest journey of generosity was from a manger to a cross of a Savior who gave his life away every step of the way. And as we give, we get the opportunity to point people to him, but also to become more like him.
I encourage you. You want to experience joy this year. Imitate Jesus. Embrace the life that he calls us to. You pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his generosity. I thank you, Father, that you loved us enough to give your son. I pray, I pray that we would be generous people. I pray you'd use this season as a catalyst for generosity. I pray that we would show this to the world and show you to the world through the way that we live this out. And we pray this in Christ's name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.